Leading multi-platform storytelling. Welcome to another Story Labs podcast. For more info, go to storylabs.us. Hello, hello. Um, so uh, I've tried to tailor make this presentation to incorporate uh, use cases and experiences that are relevant to you guys, obviously, as filmmakers. Um, we'll probably get a little bit tangential in, in a couple of areas and then kind of rein it back in because I kind of want you guys to see what's possible out there. Um, and in particular, kind of take note on some of the intersections between film and television uh, and different types of media and branding uh, and storytelling in general, because there's there's definitely a convergence going on uh, more profoundly so now than there was even in the last five years. So uh, we'll get right into it. Um, this was a, a quote from a filmmaker friend of mine who is pretty well well known, but I left his name anonymous so uh, no one can hunt him down and kill him. But he basically said to me not so long ago, nowadays the open process of filmmaking and specifically the act of creating stories with audiences is more important than the product itself. And I was pretty surprised to hear that coming from a guy who's fiercely vigilant about storytelling as a filmmaker and as a director, but has seen the light, so to speak, in terms of enhancing his capabilities as a storyteller, auteur, raconteur, what have you, um, and is a big believer. You know, this is nothing new in terms of data and story. Uh, the cave dwellers, you know, hieroglyphs to the dialects on up, um, even in the early stages of, of the written word, uh, were conveying stories and sharing data through word of mouth uh, for centuries. And today, what we're able to do, obviously, with technologies, particularly social technologies, is use these as basically intelligence networks. So instead of looking at social media as merely as an engagement tool, which it is a fantastic one, we also have the, the web and the internet as basically a giant focus group. And we can build experiences and applications around that uh, that extract very, very unique insight around human behavior, which fuels the creative development of some of the projects that you guys are involved in. So, so see, these, are some, these are samples of some of the projects that I'm currently working on uh, you know, over the last few years. And it, it runs the gamut, but uh, they're all based around audience intelligence. So why data? Um, there's been a, 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 an evolution in data uh, basically since the 50s, where it started out as sort of a product. And this predates, obviously, social technologies, but, you know, trucking routes would use data to kind of get a better handle on how to serve customers. Um, as the 70s and 80s rolled by, uh, it became a byproduct uh, in a way. So there was a competition for mindshare. So this is when you started seeing t uh, televisions enter the, enter the home in a different way, and they were really trying to control your attention, very much a, a push mechanism. And then in the 90s and, and uh, the early 2000s, uh, it became more of an asset. So airlines were great examples uh, of industry that were using data and their own sort of distribution hubs to really understand how people were flying, what what mattered to them as consumers, so on and so forth. The the real the real catch now, uh, as we head into this uh, new millennium in the 2010s onward, is that it's a substrate, meaning that new markets are literally being created out of the data. And I think storytelling and filmmaking in particular as a mechanism actually can create its own marketplace. Uh, and this is something that studios are just not understanding and not willing to embrace yet, but I think they will very soon. So the fact remains is that we have all these people out there talking, advocating. Uh, you've heard the word influence. You've heard the word uh, co-creation. Um, and the reality is, is that we really don't know all that much about our audiences. 
Uh, it's a simple fact. And uh, as one example, on the technology side of things with Google, uh, you know, a company I talk to a lot on, on various levels, uh, they really have no handle on their, on their online audiences. They're still looking this, at this as a broadcast medium uh, where they're selling ad impressions against, uh, you know, basically commoditized ad inventory and content that is subpar on many levels and creating premium channels, as I'm sure you've heard of, anywhere from the lower end level from a, a girl in Nebraska creating her own uh, user-generated content, um, you know, at, at for cents on the dollar to premium channels where they're throwing millions of dollars into the fray, but the break-even is almost a half a billion impressions. So what that basically means is the old model, they're trying to shoehorn into a flat distribution network, and it's not working. Google is failing miserably. In fact, 60% of the uh, content creators on the premium channel side have since left the program because they don't know how to make money. So... What's happening here is we're not looking at data from a behavioral perspective. So we spent a lot of time talking about how channels can produce certain results, how many view counts there are on YouTube, um, what Vimeo produces, how blogs form. This is all very important stuff. But what's more important, are what are the cultural behaviors driving viewership, what incents people to share, why do they do these things? And what's happening in culture at large that, is, that are creating those shifts? And the, and the stories that I'm hearing from you guys already, the themes that are emerging are very, 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 very relevant. And what you're basically is tapping into not just memes and, and you know, viral phenomena. You're tapping into culture shifts that talk about what's happening in the world as we, as we, as we know it, but also providing new context around that. And that's the power that you guys have. So there's also a lot that we don't know. <laughs> um, this is a map of a, of a Japanese subway, and uh, it's a cla I, I think it's a perfect analogy for how data is very elusive because they spend all this time perfecting the nooks, and the you know the corners and the angles of the underground system, yet they're constantly missing things. Why? Because the communicative aspect of the way they plan is entirely missing from the process. They're not talking to people and understanding what drives them to move and commute and therefore integrate that into planning. So if you, if you apply that to the filmmaking process, this is very much resonant in what you can be doing there. So there's another problem that we have with data, which is filtering. So if you notice that your social media feeds uh, are constantly being rigged, um, they're trying to personalize information. This concept of the filter bubble was uh, discussed in a book by Eli Pariser, which was released recently, and he's basically t talking about this problem. Why this pertains to us is because we have been using the internet as an open fo uh, forum, a focus group, to gain information. However, that information is becoming more and more elusive and very difficult to find. There's about a billion web pages indexed every day uh, based on just simple keyword search terms, which makes it even more and more impossible to find information, to discover content, to share videos, so on and so forth. So the, the, the optimization game, right, SEO, virality, all these things that we like to do, um, it's, it's not just about creating the best content. It's about, all right, how are we going to get it in the right hands at the right time and where they're moving? And that is a very, very big challenge. So... It was interesting, a few years ago um, in the media, you know, you had guys like Tim Berners-Lee, who's the father of the internet, saying that uh, data is the future, future for journalists. Now, why are we talking about journalism? Well, if you, if you go back to the story development process in Hollywood, right, a lot of film projects came out of articles, right? You know, somebody read an article in Vanity Fair. They were very, you know, they were struck by it. They decided to turn it into a film property. Well, if you expand on that, 
and you take these things to the web, you have endless amounts of stories being told out there. But the problem is two things. Again, you have filtering. And the other thing is, is that stories are not being tell, told at full length because people are, are inundated with so much information, they don't take the time to read. So this is a problem, okay? So while we have an immense amount of information out there, it's not being synthesized and produced in a way where it's easily digestible or even discernible for us as creators to take that information and use it. So when I was at the agency, my last uh, executive job, um, it was pretty amazing. We, uh, we had a, a group down in Brazil uh, called the Brand Channel. And basically what we did was we set up a bunch of monitors and displays, and we hired nobody from the agency world in-house. These were outside journalists, economists. Um, uh, we had data scientists in the room, anthropologists. And basically what we did was we sat major brands down, and we showed them what was happening in conversation out there. We used our own technologies. And essentially what happened was in real time they were able to see the challenges of their corporations unfold right before their eyes. And we would use stories and storytelling through uh, citizen journalism, through any number of mechanisms to, to try to bring out solution sets. And we had, you know, guys from major banks. We had companies like Pepsi staging live events where we would put, you know, teams out in the field. And it was incredible what happened. And it actually became the most profitable division in the entire agency network. And it was never talked about. Why? We didn't create ads, we didn't sell media, and we didn't generate fees in the ways we usually did. So it was a completely new revenue model. And this is a classic example of what we face as creative developers in industry now, because as we know, uh, the big studios, the big media companies, uh, the big agencies do not want to move off their old models, and it hurts us, but it's about the dam's about to break. So. What we've also been working on beyond that is saying, okay, what does live event look like in terms of telling stories in their natural environments in real time? How do we set that up? What kind of disciplines are resident there? And if you, if you imagine this to be a floor plan, literally, where there's a, a, a news desk in the middle and you have all these different multidisciplines at the same, uh, same stage or at the same t table, what we're able to do is turn around real stories within a four-hour period using social technologies and with real journalists in the room and economists. It's absolutely incredible. And we believe that this is the future of media. Now, why does this pertain to you guys? Because if we're looking at stories at, at, at for, for what stories are, and data is, is a central component to that, we can then make critical decisions about how we want those stories to manifest. So in other words, I have a great film idea, but maybe it's better told uh, as a series of webisodics, or perhaps it's an advertorial, or maybe it's a, a, uh, you know, live events. Any number of things can occur. And more importantly, once we put those stories out into those environments, the data that we get back, the intelligence that we receive, allows us to scale those as properties. And this is where we think things are headed. So it's something to think about. So there's literally a data and story evolution occurring in this manner. And um, so the old story is, hey, we're going to make a film to hopefully build an audience. And the new story is, we're actually going to build an audience to possibly make a film. And a lot, of, a lot of filmmakers don't necessarily like that idea, but a lot of them do. And when we've uh, experimented in the independent space, for example, we've had a lot of success with that. And I'll get into a couple of use cases along those lines in a minute. Um, the interesting part about brands is that a lot of the work we've done building custom platforms for companies like Nike, who have their own paid and owned uh, media ecosystems and earned media ecosystems, is that we can conduct experiments. 
And a big thing that you'll see with you know, guys like Lance, they'll talk about how this is a constant mode of experimentation. That's just it. Now there are R&D budgets with major corporations who are looking to experiment using story te techniques to understand not only the composition of the audience, but how they can actually effectively create better products how they can market more effectively, and how they can scale, and even uh, learn how to you know, build micro-economies, right? So supply chain management example is, is one, one effect of this. So we've been doing this type of work for the last few years in pockets. Um, it hasn't gone you know, completely industry-wide, but there is money on the table for it, which means that they're exploring with different forms of content, long form, short form, advertorial, what have you. It's really fantastic. So this idea that a creator comes up with an idea, develops it, distributes it, puts it out to an audience, and then data comes out is an old model, right? We're kind of transitioning out of that. And one movie that I, I love, Charlie Kaufman's adaptation, is really all about that. The story unfolds as the character kind of goes through the different uh, you know, iterations of, of his own experience as a writer. It's a beautiful script. Now, I don't know if you know, if you guys know that Charlie Kaufman was in Hollywood for about 12 or 15 years before he sold his first screenplay, simply because no one could get over the fact that he'd never adhered to a, a normal three-act structure. But the symbolism in this movie is so true. It's about adaptation. So the idea now is, let's understand what audiences are doing. Let's look at the data that's associated with it. Let's generate ideas around it. Let's co-create with the audience, if possible. And there, you know, there are many different instances behind that. Let's distribute. Let's see what happens out in the real-time environment. Let's adapt. And then let's take the metadata learning and build on top of it. And that's sort of the idea. And there are a few people out there that are doing this fairly successfully. Now, barring, you know, there are challenges in the space. There are budgetary challenges. There are media challenges and what have you. But this is sort of the idea. So, funny story. Uh, a good friend of mine, Dean Zanuck, called me about three years ago, um, two, two and a half years ago, and they just finished, uh, him and his dad finished producing Road to Perdition. And I think they did it for, I don't know, 170, 180 million. I think it grossed domestically about 110. They were kind of upside down on the film. And he, I'll never forget this. He said, you know, man, I, uh, I've been reading some of your stuff, you and your buddies and all you transmedia guys. He goes, I don't really know what the word means or what the hell you're talking about. You guys seem like a bunch of freaks. But, um, but, but he said something really resonated with me, which was this data stuff. And, you know, one of the studio execs, execs in the room said to me, he's like, man, uh, you know, you got to deliver me an audience here. Like, what happened? And basically, the, you know... You do focus group testing and the studio says, well, your demographic is male, you know, 24 to 38 and a household income, a median income of 70,000 know, a year. And, you know, their, their spending habits are this and that and the other. But again, they didn't use the web to cultivate data to really understand who their audiences were. And therefore, the movie didn't perform that well. So Dean said, look, I've got this independent movie. It's called Tontine Massacre. I'm not even sure I want to make a movie, but I think it's a really neat idea. And it's basically about this character who is immersed in a reality show that's gone too far. And what do you think we should do? I mean, should we do a platform release? You know, what's the plan here? So we sat down and we decided, hey, let's just conduct an experiment. Um, they did a platform release in New York and L.A. And I said, prior to it, let's ramp up. Let's gauge what audiences are doing online. And let's set something up. Now, if you look at this, it's not really all that different in terms of marketing assets, right? You've seen this with ARGs. You've seen it with a, a number uh, of big media assets where probably more sophisticated than this. But what was interesting about this, I thought, was that it was an experiment. 
And the experiment actually turned out okay. We ended up with about 10,000 real fans. Um, we created a database. And Dean, in his own words, said, this is fantastic. We're building a relationship with our movie-going audience. And I said, dude, you hit it right on the head. And since then, he's tried to go back. They've pitched the, uh, as a show to different networks. Um, they've gone to Hulu and Google on a variety of fronts. There are different stages of development, but they have literally a franchise property that they can scale. And they're blowing it out into different narrative extensions. And they're just going to see what happens. And they've, you know, they've been stymied in a lot of ways. But the reality is, is they do actually have a model that can scale, which is really powerful. So the conversation changes, right? Um, when you're talking to an investor, clearly they're going to say, well, give me an audience. Uh, in Silicon Valley, for example, I work in venture circles, right, as, a, as an advisor. Um, I'm actually a part of an accelerator fund. And, you know, you can't go talk to a, a venture capitalist about uh, making movies. They don't care. They want to know eyeballs. They want to know impressions. They want to know basically butts and seats or, you know, clicks on a page, right? That's their, that's their barometer for, for measurement and success. To a media company, it's like, well, how do we place our buy? You know, how do we offload $15 million in ad inventory? They don't give a shit about the story, the characters, or anything else. It's just a transactional thing, and that's it. To a studio... Okay, you're going to lower my production costs, great, and maybe we can increase some uh, revenue streams tied to distribution, but then what? What happens after that? But at least the conversation's changing. Now, I'm not suggesting that you're going to go back to these same people and you're going to serve up uh, the golden egg on a platter because it's probably not going to happen that way. But the conversation is changing within context, and that's kind of what we want to do here, right, is how does context change? How do we change that conversation? So it requires intelligence, and it's not always about analytics. That's for one. And it's kind of like building a house. So let me go to a couple personal examples of what that means. Um, this is an independent film project that my sister brought me in on with Michael Kaplan. They're both professors at the University of Chicago. And um, long story short, they said, hey, we want to do this cool film on Nelson Algren. It's a documentary. And we've got John Sayles and Michael Mann and, and, and uh, you know, a whole host of guys, Lou Reed, who are willing to talk about his life in chapter and verse. And I said, this is great. We'll make it multi-platform and we'll do all this stuff. And I created this story world and this plan. And, and Michael went, holy shit, dude, what is this? This is like a maze. I said, no, man, we're going to build a story world. We're going to go out in the market and it's going to be awesome. It took me a year to convince him. And after a failed Kickstarter campaign and a whole other you know, hosts of botched jobs. We're finally at a point now where we actually have a pretty good film. But the, the key ingredient in this, and this is something that Lance is doing, um, is we're building an open curriculum and we're using people to go out and experiment in the field. And that's the critical piece. And I told the guys, I said, look, at this point, we actually have a great film. We're not going to make our careers on the independent film circuit, not for documentaries. I'm not poo-pooing independent film. What I'm saying is, is that no matter how good this story is and no matter how much planning we do, right, if we don't guarantee the audience, it just doesn't matter. So now we're at a stage to do that. So what does that mean? Well, we got to look at things like network dynamics, right? Okay, so we talked about how the social web is like an open focus group. We're talking about communities. We're talking about influencers. It has many definitions. But the reality is, is there are audiences of all types out there based on topicality, theme, or genre. And we've literally built technologies that can go and tap into this. I'm going to give you some examples right now. What happens here 
when we tap into these communities, we start to change the metric paradigm a little bit, right? So as I mentioned before, a lot of companies are focused on clicks and impressions and eyeball count, view counts and all that stuff. But what happens is we start to figure out how sentiment equates to to transparent media dollars or transactional dollars. We start to look at day parting and time shifting, why people go into the theaters at a certain time and leave. What are they talking about? How are they interacting in physical spaces? What are download behaviors like, right? We can measure all this stuff now. There's plenty of data to do it, but we still have to understand what the, what, what's the impetus behind all this. So a, a pretty radical experiment I did recently was I did some work for Hulu. And they were releasing a new platform called Hulu Latino. And they basically said, um, you know, we need to figure out how to go to market with this thing. And I said, well, your problem isn't really your, mar your marketing. It's the fact that your, your go-to-market strategy sucks and, and the technology is not that great. Well, they didn't want to hear that. So they said, well, what do you mean? Um, you know, we're competing with YouTube. And I said, well, here's the deal. You actually have a stronger network effect than YouTube does. And what we did was we ran an experiment and we looked at all their online communities and how they share and the types of stuff they share. And we, had, we came out with a couple of critical insights, which as the Netflix subscriber base actually are more attracted to stories and storytelling themes than any of the YouTube subscribers. Now, that seems kind of obvious in a way when you look at premium channels on YouTube and all that other garbage, but it's totally true. Now, this does not mean that Netflix subscribers are necessarily using video as much. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily more active online in certain ways, but what they are is far more focused on specific genre pieces. So Hulu wanted to launch new telenovelas and all these different types of uh, genre content. And we said, look, you have a competitive advantage here. Go where your audiences are, tap into the stuff that they're sharing, and then engage them on that level. And then you can tailor the platform however you want. And so, you know, it kind of gave them pause for a minute, but it really made them reconsider what they were doing because they were solely focused on dominating a channel as opposed to reaching out to an online audience and figuring out what it is they actually care about. So another thing that we've been doing um, <clears throat> over the last few years, um, as I got involved with another company, I helped build a platform called eCairn. And uh, eCairn was, was based on uh, two guys from HP uh, were doing some early business intelligence work, uh, enterprise work. That basically means before social media ever came around, they were uh, analyzing large digital systems and databases to try to figure out um, how people would consume and share and buy software. And this is what they did for HP. So they, broke, they branched out and they approached me and they asked me to help them build the platform. And basically what we did was we built uh, an NLP technology, natural language processing technology, that could actually go out and mine for influence based on topicality and interest and sentiment. And it could work for any industry or any genre. And we started actually doing some work with Sony, who was smart enough to say, look, um, we're not getting the most bang for our buck out of our marketing dollars. Um, we'd like to understand if there are new groups of people, uh, common interest groups out there in the world, and who are they? So we identified about 400 new groups or tribes, as we call them, and served them up the li uh, list. And uh, they tried to match it up with their databases and, and so on and so forth. But it gave us an idea, which was, well, instead of just using social media tools to manage communities and engage, which, again, is incredibly important, let's use it for intelligence on the front end before you start developing scripts. And we started having conversations with the studios and the studios would say, well, what do you mean intelligence? What are you talking about? And I said, well, look, you guys have uh, writers and, and producers and creators on contract, right? Okay. You want them to produce certain genres that you think are hot based on trending topics or whatever? Yes. Okay. Well, what if we could procure a list of tribes, these little communities of people, 
that are interested in, in these genres or, or themes and topics, sort of like literary genres, and we can serve them up to you. And they said, well, that would be great. So we started doing that for them. Now, of course, they didn't use the information as, as we thought they would. But the point is, is that you're mitigating risk, right? Because you're basically pre-validating stories. I don't know if you've heard that term used in Hollywood, pre-validated stories. It's kind of the same idea. It's you're, you're identifying where, where themes or topics are happening out in the online universe. You're extracting the information, you're correlating it, you're mixing and matching, and you're understanding audience behaviors to say, look, here's a captive audience or a series of uh, audience groups out there with the story idea, and we can go tap into it. Whether you engage them directly or not is not the issue. You just know where the market is. And we can do all sorts of things. We can do keyword matches, we can exclude, we can remove sources and what have you. And what happens is we can start to see the relationships between these different communities by topic. So this is basically like a, a, a tree of, of a conversation universe based on a specific thing. This is around Hulu topic set. But what ends up happening is we can map these influencers all over the world based on their locations. We can connect them to other communities. And literally, we can build out these, these whole networks. So again, total reverse engineering of the, of the process because you're not making assumptions about where or who your audiences are. You're basically using technology and curation and human insight to decide that this is where they are, this is how we can go about reaching them, and, and so on. And then, of course, what we can do is create uh, custom iterations of this for different groups. This is a, a sample dashboard that we created uh, for another client um, who was looking to understand what fan loyalty might look like. And so we kind of did a similar exercise and then put together a dashboard uh, that they could use dynamically and, and discover who their fan base is. This is another platform that I'm working on right now with a couple of young filmmakers in the UK called Kodak, and we're building what's called the Storygraph. Um, a couple of switched-on filmmakers, beautiful content. They're you know, basically talking about NGO-related stuff in different areas of, uh, of Africa and uh, other parts of the world. But what we're doing is we're tapping into these communities in a similar way and connecting storytelling groups to the themes or topics that are being discussed and then allowing those people to connect. And if we can infuse that with filmmaking without losing the, the intrinsic attributes of filmmaking, right? This is not to suggest that we need to tell films differently or that we have to change that process, but more to say, how does this story fit into the universe of what's going on contextually? We have a very powerful combination. So it means that you can produce what audiences really care about and the stuff that they're already talking about, and we can pre-validate stories. So um, there's a quote from Ben Franklin that I think is really appropriate, which is, think of these things once you came where you are going and to whom you must account, which is your audience. So that's it. It's a really good question. I, we spent a lot of, I've spent a lot of time, I, 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 over the last 10 years, I had to learn how to write code. I had to learn how to write algorithms. Um, and work with people that are a lot more uh, adept at, uh, at building things uh, in the semantic and the, and the AI space. But the short answer is we, we basically build uh, scraping technologies and then we use what we call natural language processing to filter things out. There's a caveat to that, which is a lot of people in the social technology space think that you can take large amounts of information and kind of whittle it down and, and to kind of get to an insight, which is not how it works. Our, our belief is really it's a combination of, of machine processing or machine learning and human processing, right? So we're literally hiring uh, 
people who are top in the field in, in semantic, uh, in linguistics, uh, at, you know, at MIT or at Waterloo, we are hiring data scientists. We are hiring people that are deeply invested in emergent uh, parallel processing technologies. And what we do is we sit down basically and we talk about how to approach the data, um, where we're gathering it, how we're sourcing it, and then how we're processing it. And it's, it changes. Uh, it just depends on the, on the business context of the situation, but that's kind of how we do it. Yeah, well, it does. So, no, you're right. So, so, so that's, so, so again, the, the challenge is that, the, hey, show me a dashboard or, 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 you know, give me a, a you know, software that, that is going to, where I can press a button and, and I, and it just doesn't work that way. And, and in fact, as more, no, I think Radiant 6 uh, is a piss poor technology. Yeah. I'm not saying that because I helped build the Cairn, um, but, but it's, so Laurel is, is referring to a, a, co a company called Radiant Six, which was actually f first in one of the first in market, um, and they were bought by Salesforce recently. Um, and basically, what they do is they take you know brand mentions and, the, and it does a number of, of interesting things, but it's very very hard to understand. Uh, the dashboard's not intuitive, and it also doesn't deliver insight. So if you're a filmmaker, for example, you're going to see all this information, and then you're going to go, "What do I do with it?" So there's no workaround for that. And it's very expensive. Yeah, it's very, very expensive. Um, but what we've been doing with filmmakers uh, like Dean is, is basically hiring a couple specialists in the field, having very, very deep conversations about what they want to do with the property and how they'd like to scale it, and then we hire appropriately. So it's, it's really sort of a, it's really an adaptive process. Leading multi-platform storytelling. Welcome to another Story Labs podcast. For more info, go to storylabs.us.